0: Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you on this summer Sunday, whether you're here in the house or joining us online. As we continue our Jericho Walls series, we're knocking down walls that we build up between ourselves and other people, or walls that even other people have built up against us. And in doing so, we've been talking about our neighborhood. And oh, how walls get built sometimes between neighbors. I mean, how many sitcom shows were about neighbors fighting and arguing with each other about different things, or talking over fences to one another, or or different aspects of that. And the reason we're bringing up our neighborhood is because as we live in these neighborhoods, we want to be a good neighbor and show the love of Jesus Christ. But in order to do that, sometimes we gotta address some walls we've built up within ourselves. every Every block sometimes has a has a big timer um, if you If you don't know which house that is, it might be your house, maybe I don't know, but there's always one it seems and and there's a funny meme that came out about this, and I I don't believe it's true, but you could picture this happening sometimes with the stories you hear between neighbors, and and this was the post. It said this, um, fanciest house on our street by a mile. I like that. Uh, Put a note in all our letterboxes asking us to be very quiet from 2 p.m. today for a backyard wedding, and to be honest, I'm in awe of my neighbor who whipped out the lawnmower at 2 p.m. on the dot. See, we laugh because many of you know it can get that um, contentious at times in our neighborhoods. And although that's a joke, we, we kind of find it comical or sometimes uh, startling because things sometimes can get like that. You know, this man was ushered into a hospital years ago, one of these old hospitals, and comes into the foyer and, and sits down and... and uh, Begins to uh, describe some of his symptoms. And, and, and it seemed that maybe there was something going on that was a problem. And so this symptom played itself out as possibly rabies. And so as he's sitting in his hospital. Patient room, working through what he's going to do. Uh, the doctor comes in, and he and he says, uh, "It does seem like you do have rabies." Oh, he gets out a piece of paper. He starts writing stuff down, and this was years ago. So, I mean, the doctor said, "You know, what? W- hold up! It, it doesn't mean you're going to die. Are you writing out your will or something?" You're not gonna die. We can treat this. This is a treatable condition. He said, no, no, I'm not writing out my will. I'm writing out the names of the people I'm gonna go bite. (laughs) Vengeance. Vengeance. Vroom! Two o'clock, he said the wedding is? Vroom! Vengeance. Harboring ill will is our subject today. We're gonna tackle... Vengeance. Why? Why is this so important? Because vengeance not dealt with can smolder under the surface and destroy a life. See, vengeance, it it gets down in there and it it comes out with symptoms in that hospital room of who you want to talk bad about every time their name comes up to other people. It comes out like, who would you hope fails that you know? I would kind of enjoy seeing them fail. It it, it comes up with carrying a little resentment. And sometimes it's not these big thoughts. Sometimes it's just like even small thoughts. You know, I kind of resent that my wife, I kind of resent that my husband, I kind of resent that my brother, I kind of resent that it's, In our thought life, it's sneaking around, and and vengeance at its worst is plotting to get someone back for something they've done to you. Do you have any vengeance in you? I mean, I don't know, probably all of us, right, Chris? I mean, all of us have like somebody or something that that kinda continues to bother us, but, but is it that big a deal to maybe harbor a little bit of that? If left unchecked, vengeance can destroy families, destroy homes, and even destroy neighborhoods because it smolders underneath. But much like a fire has a chain reaction, like water has a ripple effect, the chain reaction destroys people. It's said in scripture that a woman tears her house down with her own hands. It's said in scripture that a man hinders his prayer life by the way he treats his wife. It says in scripture that the way things are on the outside are actually just symptoms of something going on underneath. Have you ever heard of the town Centralia in Pennsylvania? I mean, a wonderful town, right? I mean, in the 1800s, it was opened, and it really began to grow and build and strengthen during the time when mining was at its peak because it was over top or had throughout it anthracite that would be just perfect for a mining town and this town continued to grow and grow and it was doing so great until they say the date was May 27th, 1962 in desiring to do a landfill with garbage they set it on fire to get this out but the fire got into the ground smoldered too long and the anthracite that makes up an area deposit an anthracite deposit five times the size of the town caught fire the mines caught fire And it began to smolder underneath and began to break and crack the ground so that were landfills, there were places where you would see smoke rising. And even up into the 1970s and 80s, the government spent some $40 million in central PA trying to relocate people to a safe place for the fumes were toxic and the town would continue to crumble from what was going on underneath. There's four holdouts still there in 2020. Everyone else is gone now. The town has fallen apart. Oh, not not, not because of something on the top, but because of something that's smoldering beneath. Is it possible that you have something smoldering beneath the surface called vengeance in your own life, and it's threatening to not only destroy your house, but the people around you and the people you love, the people you work with. And that's the enemy's desire, isn't it? To steal, kill, and destroy. That's why we're going after the wall of vengeance today. And so the Jericho wall that we want to knock down is this smoldering fire beneath the surface called vengeance. If I could do this, I would. You know what I think of that person? I bet this. Let's go after it today. We often say we don't come to sit under the word of God to be comfortable, we sit under the word of God to grow in our life for Jesus Christ. So if you're gathered with us today, you've come to a church that loves the scripture. Would you pray with me as we encounter Joshua chapter eight? Heavenly Father, use your word to dig in to the spots we keep beneath the surface that threaten to ruin not only our lives, but those around us. And may we spot the enemy in our life, and may we not let him win, for we wanna be children of God, walking blamelessly before you, not only because of holiness demanding it, but because of understanding that you know this will hurt us. We need to stay away from it. God, teach us about who you are. Go ahead and do your work. And as the great surgeon, you might have to dig deep But Would you go and find that spot of smoldering flames and pour water on it today with your grace? We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Last week, it was the ripple effect, right, of Ai. Joshua sends a few men up to Ai for, I mean, it would be easy to defeat, correct? I mean, there's not many of them up there. Scholars estimate between eight to 12,000 people were up there at the time or at least that many to fight, let alone the inhabitants, and to go up there and deal with this wouldn't be a problem. So up the Israelites went and before you know it, they are fleeing from the men of Ai. They just watched Joshua circle Jericho for six straight days, seven, and watch it fall down. They shouted, They saw God's work, and now they're defeated by the city of Ai. And on top of that, Israelites' armies are fleeing. They look like cowards. What will God do for his great name? Joshua falls on the ground. God, what's going on? And God says, get up. Huh? Get up. Israel cannot stand before its enemies, for Israel has taken from things devoted to the ban. Oh, we had hoped as we listened to the story that the one who took those items would come and ask for repentance for we even see, we, or seek repentance for we even see, even Canaanites who, who sought repentance and asked for forgiveness and go towards God were saved from judgment at times, Rahab, right? So we see that, but we don't see this with Achan. And he's exposed before all the Israelites and his family and himself die to expose these evil things. So that, or this evil thing he did, so that Israel can be free and consecrated to God so they can continue this holy conquest that God has them on. There is a ripple effect to failure within the camp. And now it's time to deal with AI again. Now you can also call it I. Okay, so it's I or AI, but I feel like if I keep saying I, especially the people listening on podcasts, will be like, well, "Who is this I we're talking about?" So, uh, so I prefer AI, and I, I'm going with it. So let's wake up to this morning that they're going to go after AI, and let's catch up with the scriptures in Joshua chapter eight. The Lord says this. Do not fear, be dismayed, Joshua. Take all the fighting men with you and arise and go up to Ai. See, I have given it into your hand, the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. God is a God of second chances. And as Israel has got themselves correct before him now, they can go and experience his power in battle. And God continues, he says, and this you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as a plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. God says, go up, but this time I want you to take the plunder of Ai. Take the wealth of Ai with you after it's destroyed. Lay an ambush on it. Man, Achan, you only had to wait one battle and you would have had all the treasures. How often do we jump ahead of God right when he is about to give our hearts desire because we just couldn't wait? And so God lays out an ambush plan, then Joshua puts it into action. And so here's what the scripture says about this plan. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and he sent them out by night. So basically a baseball stadium of, of, of army guys. And he commanded them, behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we're gonna flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city, for they will say, they're fleeing from us just as before, so we will flee before them. And then you shall rise up from ambush and seize the city, for the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out and they went to the place of ambush and they lay between Bethel and Ai to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent the night among the people. An ambush is being planned. Now, how many of you check out when I read that many verses in a row? And if I bring up a picture, you check back in. Okay, so all of my picture friends, let's do that again. Okay, they cross the Jordan River and they go up to Gilgal and God says, You need to consecrate yourselves. We've already done that sermon. You can check the library, okay? But then they deal with Gilgal. Their foreskins are up on that hill. They're consecrated before the Lord. They go down to Jericho, march around it six days, seventh day, seven times, shout. The walls come down. It is now time to take on Ai. They go up to Ai with just a few soldiers and they chase them out. Joshua goes, what's going on? They get themselves right before God, deal with Achan's sin, and now they go back up and this time it's an ambush and so Joshua says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to send 5,000 men. We're going to go up through this ravine because there's a ravine right here. We're going to go around here, or they could have possibly gone this way. The point is this, they come around the back of Ai. So you heard west of Ai and Bethel, and they hide here in this ravine here. If you saw it from a, another perspective, Joshua says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the rest of the men. We're going to go up here. We're going to be in this ravine. We're going to show themselves, but I am going to come out and be in this valley when the king of Ai, sees us in the valley, they're going to charge after us. And then you who are laying in ambush, you come into the city, set it on fire, and then they're all out here and we'll take them on and we'll pinch them right there and take them out. How many of you after seeing that went, well, why didn't you just say that? (laughs) Have you ever set up an ambush on someone? You go, are we allowed to talk about this in church? only if it's a fun one. You see, I went on a missions trip with a group of teens, and I've told this story before, but I particularly enjoy it. And we went, we called it Route 66. We went out to Arizona. and We worked with the Navajo Indians there. It was just phenomenal, awesome trip. But I'll tell you what. There was really no doubt. And I think the guys can confess this. The girls were just smarter than us on this trip. And they kept playing practical jokes on us. We would come down to our to our places to, to sleep and our pillows would be gone. Things like that, just always kind of out in front. And the guys would talk a big game. You're gonna pay, you're gonna pay. But they couldn't really think of something they could do and actually get away with it without getting in serious trouble. All, all their plans was like, guys, no, we're not doing that. And so they, they were appealing to their youth pastor for a good ambush girl plan on the girl and and I thought, this is my role as a spiritual leader in their life to come up with something and so I thought, my, I mean, my pillow was gone too. So what can we do? So so I, I talked to the bus driver. I said, hey, tomorrow after we're done our day camp, you know, like ministering to kids and telling them about Jesus, we're gonna plot an ambush on the girl. And he enjoyed this plan. And so so we came up this, I said, just pretend the bus is on fire, kind of run to the back of the engine, kind of pretend it's on fire. And then we'll have the girls go out and I've got like water in our igloos and stuff. And we'll just run out and dump water on them. It'll be fun. It'll be hot anyway. And so when we get to a place on the road that you can pull over, do this after camp. Okay, great. No, we got this. Okay. And I told the boy, all day long, they're looking at me like ride home. Like, really? You just going to do that all day? Like they don't see you. So camp doesn't go that well that day. It was a hot day. We had some drama happen. We had some parents upset about certain things. I'm kind of fried I, I, our group did not need a practical joke. They needed the word of God, prayer, and sleep. But the boys were fired up. We get in the bus and we're heading back and the bus driver's hes like, are, are we gonna do it? I said, yeah, let, let's do it. Why not? Day's already ruined anyway. But, but we're, we're going down and he's looking at me in the rearview mirror. I give him a thumbs up. He pulls the bus to the side of the road. What's going on? He jumps out and runs. I'm like, he he is acting so well. I'm nervous. I'm like, are we okay? Like maybe something <laughs> did. Ha- he is all into this. Some of you know who this is. And, and and he's like, oh Chris, Chris, I need you out here. So I came running out. Good call. Have me come out. So smart. And we came back. Get out the bus. And the men and the young men and their chivalry. Girls first. And the girls go off and the guys wait and they go and they get all the water that they're going to go run out. And I look out the bus. I look out the bus. This plan is being fully executed, the ambush on the girls here. And I look out and a few of them are praying. (laughs) Jesus be with Chris and the guys and the, I'm like, oh man, This this is so bad. I feel like this weight of guilt on me. These girls are more righteous than us. We're horrible people. They're always winning no matter what they're winning. So we just went ahead with it anyway. <laughs> and when the guys were throwing water on him, some of the girls were not looking at the guys throwing water at him. They were staring at me. <laughs> and I knew it was going to be a long week for me. Through the years, pie has been in my face. Different things have happened. But we'll never forget that time. See, see that's a funny, everybody loves each other's story. This one isn't. This one isn't at all. Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up. He and the elders of Israel before the people to Ai and all the fighting men were with him. And they went up and they drew near before the city and they camped on the north side of Ai with a ravine in between them and Ai. Scripture continues. He Took about 5,000 men and he set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces the main encampment that was north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw it, he and all his people, the men of the city, they hurried and they went out to an early appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. It's all playing out exactly as they planned to But not a man then was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel, just like they thought Israel was fleeing before them again. We got him again. And Joshua is pretending and he's running away. And the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand towards the city. And it said, where you stand in those valleys, even to this day, you could see what the javelin Joshua was holding would often have a metal top that would shine against the sun. So he holds it up. The 5,000 men in ambush would see that glimmering light. And they'd say, now go into the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place as soon as he had stretched out his hand and they ran and entered the city and they captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. in scripture talks about the scene in Joshua 8 verses 20 through 29. I'll read it to you. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven and they had no power to flee this way or that. For the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against their pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai and the others came out from the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was none left that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai, they took alive and they brought him near to Joshua. And Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them. And all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword. All Israel returned to Ai, and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand, with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock remained. And so Joshua burned Ai. Scripture says, even at sunset, Joshua commanded that they take the king's body down, that they had hung and put a heap of stones over it and Ai was destroyed. Wow. That's crazy to read. I mean, here we're in the 21st century. We're reading that. We're trying to put our Old Testament goggles on, and you're like, whoa. God is using His people consecrated before him as the executors of his judgment. And we're watching it going, whoa. Wiped out the whole city? Many people critical of scripture and of God have decided that this is an angry, cruel, awful God. How could he do this? But if you read scripture with a biblical worldview and a very high view of Yahweh, you get to see his holiness and justice and judgment play out before you. And just as Moses was the executor of the plagues on a wicked people, Joshua is the executor with a sword on the people and the Canaanites and Ai. In this glimpse of God's wrath being poured out by his chosen people, Israel, we get to see Yahweh's ownership All the earth is mine. I created it, it's mine. Therefore, as Job learned, he can do what he wants. Second, we see Yahweh's justice. The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. There are many people would say, how is this fair? How can God do this. But you see, even asking those questions at times are misnomers, for you have put yourself in the judge's seat on God. And God is the judge, not man. So even to ask those questions, you're weighing into very concerning territory when speaking of Yahweh. Yet it does make sense for us to ask, God, when we don't understand, what are you doing? When it seems so harsh and and incredibly uh, consuming. But you see, mankind, especially now that we live in the age of grace, begins to buy into the lie that people are good. But is very clear, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone misses the mark. And therefore, since all have sinned and fallen short of the God, it's only God who is holy. And here he is wiping out a wicked People, these Canaanites weren't swinging on swings in AI. They sacrificed their children. They pawned them for sexual things. They raped their women. They attacked and killed ruthlessly everyone in their path. God speaks of the Canaanite people and says, it's as if the land wanted to vomit them out of its mouth. It was so wicked and evil. God is reclaiming this territory and giving this promised land, and that's why his people, not because of their holiness, but because of his, must be consecrated fully to him as they execute his judgment. And that's why God says, vengeance is mine. I do declare vengeance. I have heard the prayers of my people while they were in Egypt as the Canaanites, the Amorites, and all these people enslaved them and killed them and took their families away. I heard their prayers, and I do bring judgment. And when I bring it, I bring it. And so when I say vengeance is mine, please understand any vengeance that you try won't compare at all to what's coming. And the Joshua vengeance of scripture will one day be replaced by the judgment of the real Joshua, Jesus, and he also comes with a sword. You get a glimpse of the wrath and consuming fire of God on sin at Ai. So why is it so different now? Are we called to ambush now? It feels like some want it to be like that. But no, that's not the case at all. For Paul writes in the book of Romans, he says, instead of an ambush, you repay no one evil for evil. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. I'm gonna get him back. No, 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 no. Paul says, no, don't do that. Repay no one evil. And what are we told now? As far as it is by you, live at peace with everyone. You know what, if it's up to you, you can't control your neighbor or or somebody else, but as far as it's up to you, live at peace with everyone. No, I'm gonna stir it up, no, 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 live at peace. Three, never avenge yourselves. In the same text, beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Don't avenge yourself. You leave that to me. That will only hurt you if you go and do something like that. In fact, on the contrary, Paul tells us, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you'll actually heap burning coals on his head. So don't overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. What What changed? What happened? I like to describe what happened with an illustration. There's a group of people headed out in the prairies, heading across the Midwestern states to look for a place to homestead. They had crossed the river and they were heading into the prairie lands and they looked up ahead of them and there was a fire across the prairie. Everything was burning in front of them, and it was moving rapidly towards them. But they had crossed the river, so now that was behind them, and now the fire is bearing down on them, and they don't know what to do. All the families are gathered together, and one man seems to have a plan. He says, here's what we need to do. We need to burn the prairie grass behind us. Anybody want to raise your hand and say, excuse me? Burn it behind us. And so they, they followed him. He seemed to know what he was talking about. So they burned the prairie grass behind him. And once it burned off, he said, go into the area that has already been burned. So they took all the, the, the aspects of them. They brought all their wagons and they got in. The area was burned. And as the fire came towards them, one little girl cried out. She said, will the fire burn us up? And the answer was, my child, the flames cannot reach us here, for we are standing where the fire has been. Will I be burned up by the wrath of God? Not if you're standing where the fire has been. Well, where's the fire been? I'll help you out. There was a hill called Golgotha. My hero best friend and the greatest picture you could ever have of what life is supposed to look like, who did nothing to deserve it, was beaten, thrown on a cross and he looked up into heaven and basically said, hit me. And the wrath of God on sin went (laughs) wham! and the fire burned on him. And everybody who believes in his name is aligned with him in salvation and is standing where the fire has already been. Why is it so different? Because the wrath of God has been appeased on the cross by Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law so that we could experience grace by standing where our savior took the flames, amen? That's why it's different. Young people do not get confused by people who do not know the entirety of scripture and grab verses to make points. It is a story that develops like a narrative you love. And we see Jesus change the story. And so all my map friends, they move up to Shechem because it's time to renew the covenant. And the Canaan can be seen, almost all of it can be seen from the top of Mount Ebal. And so Joshua takes them up there after this has been conquered. And scripture says this, at that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, it is written in the book of the law of the Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and they sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And scripture continues, it says, all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Abel. Again, for my picture learners, I'll go to a modern picture of this scene to show you the amphitheater that Joshua selected. He's here in Shechem, he's at the ark, and half of Israel is at Mount Gerizim on the hillside, and path is on Mount Ebal. It serves as this perfect amphitheater for him to read the Mosaic covenant and renew the covenant with God so that it might continue to live out in the exact place where God told Abraham he'd give him the land of Canaan, the Mosaic law. You know, it's interesting From time to time, there's archeological discoveries that are very curious, And, and one happens to be at Joshua's altar site. There's an artifact that has just come out recently that has Yahweh's name on it that's still going under review. And obviously, Um, critical scholars of the scriptures will argue against its validity and those who have a biblical worldview will argue for its validity and it's still going through review. But much like the Dead Sea Scrolls, this is an artifact that dates scripture for on this rock of cursing, they seem to have found an inscribing of Yahweh, which would date it to the time of the bronze period, which many critical scholars believe Scripture was written around 600 BC and has been written from a revisionist history. This would date 1500 years almost before the Dead Sea Scrolls. And so be interesting to see how this archeological piece plays out in the future, it remains to be known. But another interesting piece, and uh, I do not need archeology span to believe the scriptures, but it's just another piece of how you see God even interworking those things. So let me ask you now that we've studied AI, is there anybody you would like to ambush? (laughs) Teenager, can I speak to you for a minute? God cares about you, don't wait to grow up to follow God. Don't wait. God loves using young people for him. Don't let the devil start this young on you. Husband wife, Grandma, grandpa, business owner, entrepreneur? Is there anybody? Can the surgeon come in and do a little work? Because we gotta go after that wall of vengeance. You know, the reality is in this world you will have trouble. While there's sin in this world, you will have trouble. And this world loves to cry, that's not fair. But the reality is fair died in the garden. And because sin entered this world, terrible things happen. The rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. And difficult seasons and difficult things happen to everyone. Some, it does seem worse than others at times. In reviewing an article that speaks a lot of times to the reasons vengeance is such an issue, It comes from the fact that people are so hurt. I've hurt people, you've hurt people. In fact, one article put out talks about the five emotional childhood wounds that can occur, that can smolder under the surface for an entire person's life. Here's one of them, abandonment. When someone's abandoned, their life can become cynical and they always expect poor outcomes of everything that will happen. This'll go south. I don't expect this to go well. Another childhood wound they talk about is rejection and the feeling for the rest of their life they're unlovable or feelings of inferiority. Betrayal will produce feelings of distrust and fear of being hurt again and will get very defensive, humiliation is a deep wound that leads people to feeling jealous of other success and wanting to be slanderous in their thoughts and desires of their failures. Injustice can leave people feeling powerless and a smoldering desire of vengeance wells up in them. Folks, what you see in social media, in Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, is symptoms of what has happened. And if you can learn to look at people not at their symptoms, but at what is probably smoldering down beneath, you often will find that's the wounds talking. And the world loves to bandage the symptoms. But the problem is, and only the great physician seems to understand this, amen, that the problem is down in. And they need to go to the doctor. So wouldn't it make sense if you're the enemy to try to tempt Christians to think they're more righteous than people who are struggling? And how many believers are walking around looking at the world going, thank goodness I'm not like them. We have given, been given scripture by Jesus to say, don't go there. We are all the same dirt under the cross. And while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. But if there's one thing we all understand is there are wounds that are deep down in there sometimes and they smolder and they can destroy a life. What do we need to do? We gotta go to the doctor. Jesus said, those who are well have no need for a physician. They think they're fine. But those who know there's something sweltering down there, I came to call the righteous. I didn't come to call the righteous, I came to call sinners. The good doctor knows where the problem is. Have you ever gone to a doctor's office and when you walk in, they give you this chart and they say, fill out your symptoms or things that you've had in the past. And when I was younger, I didn't really check anything. As I've grown older, I start to check stuff. Have you had that? Yeah, actually. That? Oh no, oh no. I've had that. Has your father had that? Yeah, actually. Oh, this is getting horrible. Lean over to your wife. Are you having some of these? Absolutely, like ever want? The longer we're here, the more checks are gonna be on that box. And so it's like the word of God comes walking up to us and goes, here, check which ones you're struggling with. What do you mean, Chris? Watch this, watch this. I want you to let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Do you have any of those? And we read over those real quick, but let's go ahead and just break them down real quick. Let's just do a little test on us since we came to church anyway. Do you have any bitterness, harboring resentment and keeping record of wrongs? You know what they did? Seven years ago. You know what happened? Let me tell you about this, Chris. I will tell you what happened. Seven, do you harbor anything? That's a symptom. Check. I don't want to check it. Check. Doctor said, check it. Check. How about wrath? Outbursts of suppressed irritation and frustration. Mm, no. Hey, get out of the road, you idiot! Oh, we're here at church. <laughs> check. See, see, you all thought that's just people being people. I bet you've got some wound smoldering. Anger, hostile emotions of annoyance. Oh my word, people drive me crazy. You know what, the lady thing? I'm, I'm like so frustrated. Whoa, 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 whoa. Symptom, check that one. Um, how about clamor? That's shouting. All right, everybody needs to be quiet and sit down. It's time for family devotions. <laughs> clamor, check. How about slander? Words meant to degrade or hurt someone. Hey, have you ever met them? Yeah, I have. I'll tell you something about them if you think there's something. Symptom, check it. Uh, uh, malice, smoldering vengeance and the desire to retaliate. If I ever get a chance, I ever get a chance. Well, then check that. Ooh, see the word of God just comes right in. It pierces sharper than a two-edged sword. It comes right in. It goes, do you have any of these symptoms? There might be vengeance down there. I didn't really think there might be. And it's smoldering under the surface. What do I do? What do I do? Oh, there's a prescription. Oh, thank goodness. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Like, like who? Like who would do that? Who would forgive other people? Oh, as God, as Yahweh, as great God forgave you because of the work of Jesus Christ. That's why you forgive. Because Jesus forgave you. Do you have kindness in your life? Um, Choosing to be gracious and sensitive and respectful? It's like putting water on the fire. And, And kids, have you ever stood around the fire after you had a nice campfire and you put a little water in there? The rest of summer, if you do that, I want you to think about just forgiving people every time, who do I need to forgive? I got to get this fire out in my life. It's smoldering on the earth. Tenderhearted, choosing to be compassionate, sympathetic. When you got vengeance smoldering down there, you got no time for anybody. Everybody drives you crazy. Everybody deserves it. Everybody needs to be quiet. It's good. It's good chance. There's something deep down in there. And then forgiveness, choosing to let an offense go and offer grace. They don't deserve it, and neither did you. For while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Folks, holding a grudge, I love this quote, it's not mine. Holding a grudge doesn't make you strong. It makes you bitter. And forgiving, forgiving doesn't make you weak. It sets you free. I am so tired of the narrative that if you're a jerk, you're strong. That is a narrative in our society. That's what I'm talking about. That's what a jerk should do. No, no, we don't want to let that fester. That is not what Christ would do. And when you desire to honor Christ more than your own passions and vengeance because you're frustrated with somebody's point of view or things or whatever, it'll ruin you. And the word of God gives us these truths so we don't get ruined. I just, I just don't know about forgiveness because forgiveness just seems, seems a, Well, you have to know what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. Don't confuse what it's not with what it is. You say, what do you mean? If you were with us years ago when we did our forgiveness series, we talked about what forgiveness was not. It's not a removal of the offense. The offense happened. It's not an approval of what happened. It happened, that's not what forgiveness is. It's not a retracting of the hurt. You were wounded, and from time to time, you're gonna see someone, you're gonna get triggered, and it's gonna rip open that wound, and it's gonna hurt, and, and you almost feel like, you put that bandage back on. That's why Jesus taught us the 70 times seven principle. He knew there was gonna be multiple bandages you would have to put on. It's not a retracting of the hurt. It's not a returning of all trust. Well, they said they're sorry. Oh, hugs for everyone. Hold up. We talked about the Heisman maneuver. There has to be some new boundaries set. It's not necessarily restoring of fellowship. There might need to be some time for safety to occur. It's a relinquishing, it's not, excuse me, a relinquishing of the hurt, for it did hurt. Well, you said, what is forgiveness? It's a removal of the record. I'm done talking about this. It's not a retracting of the hurt, it's a retracting of the resentment. It's not a returning of all trust, it's a returning of no evil. I'm not gonna return evil. It's not necessarily a restoring of fellowship, although that'd be great, but it is a restoring of freedom. For if you have vengeance inside you, you are controlled by it. It's not a relinquishing of the hurt, it's a relinquishing of the vengeance. How how do I know what are some symptoms that have begun to forgive someone? I I like to put this. We have truly begun to douse the smoldering fire of vengeance when we one regained the reason to forgive. Why should I forgive? Because Christ forgave me. I have forgot that. I even took communion. I remember that. You did that for me. Why do we always need to remember what Christ did? Because we are tempted to not forgive like Christ. It's when I release the desire for vengeance. Something comes up and I go, no, I don't have vengeance there. I'm growing in this forgiveness. When we refuse the temptation to slander, when we renew the ability to bless them and pray for them, what do I do when my enemy curses me? I bless them. I figure out a way to bless them. I, I trust this. Well, then I rebuild safer boundaries. Now I know forgiveness is coming. And we all get hurt out there. If you've been in a leadership position over the past two years, you got all sorts of wounds in you. If you've been a teacher, if you've been on the front lines, helping medically, you got wounds, people have said stuff, you got stuff going on and there's a chance you're smoldering inside and every once in a while it gets exposed on the road or at the home or whatever. And the reality is there's something down below oh, there's such a better path. Let's call him Kudar, I should say. A successful Hungarian lawyer. During an uprising in his country, he was forced to flee and became a refugee. He came to the US with no job, no money, no friends, yet well-educated, knowing several languages, but they were broken. He applied at different places, and he would not hear anything, but one came back, so vindictive, it gave him a temptation for vengeance. It basically said, "We wouldn't hire you even if we did have a position. Your writing is broken, we're not interested." And it hurt him deeply. And he wrote out his response. You know the keyboard warrior in all of us. Pop, 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 pop. And he got to the end and the spirit convicted him with this verse, a soft answer turns away wrath. He withheld sending it and he began to type out a soft answer. Have you ever realized that verse works both ways? We often think a soft answer, if I give him a soft answer, this angry person will calm down. Have you ever realized when you develop a soft answer, it calms you down? And typing out his soft answer, he sent it back and said, hey, I have room to grow. I appreciate the feedback. I'll use it for my next interview. Within two weeks, he was asked to come to an interview in New York City from the same person who wrote that to him. And he is now second in command to that person. What a better path to choose the path, not of vengeance, but of what God has for us. Why, why should I? Because I don't want your life to look like this. More importantly, because who cares what Chris thinks? Jesus doesn't want your life to look like that. That's why David said, search me and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. Why? Because God's trying to ruin my fun. I just want to hide some vengeance and go get somebody. I want to hawk out on somebody. I want to go, and it's so cool. And we have all our movies are about vengeance. So I know this is so counterintuitive, but Jesus goes, that's how to wreck your life. Forgive them like I forgave you and leave vengeance to me because when I clean house, I don't miss anything. God's wrath was delayed for 400 some years on the Canaanites. His wrath is being delayed right now, but when it comes, it will be full and it will be final. If you love your neighbor and you know they're wounded, maybe God is calling you to offer some forgiveness so that the wall of vengeance will come down and the love of Christ will come pouring through and douse the flames that smolder within both of you. Heavenly Father, use your word to cut deep in our hearts, May you purify us from the voice of judgment in our head and how disappointing other people are. And may we focus on ourselves and what areas that we have allowed to smolder. And Lord, renew our hearts. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation. May we come clean before you and say, Lord, I've had some vengeance in me now that I think about it. I want to forgive them. And I'm going to leave the vengeance to you. And in some way, I'm going to feel like they're getting away with it. But the reality is, I'm getting out of this because I don't want my life to be smoldering underneath the surface and to be snuffed out by something like vengeance may we not let the enemy win in this area, and may we come to you, Christ, and ask for a big old jug of water to throw on those smoldering coals. In Jesus' name, amen.